Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, Wendy, how are you today? Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. So glad to have you on the Design Your Life and Business podcast. We're just going to hop right into it. We are no fluff zone here. And I know you are the same. So (laughs) the first question is, who is Wendy Barlett? So I am a CPA tax accountant by training, but don't hold that against me. I love money. I love numbers. But above all else, I love helping people. So my role in this world is to take all that complicated, nasty, serious stuff and put it into bite-sized pieces so all business owners can be stewards of their own money. Well, good, because I brought the right person on because we're always talking about money here uh, and we want to keep our money and do it properly. We hear a lot of tax myths and I wanted to hear what you have to say about a lot of these things, you know? So we hear about saving money on home offices, you know, international trips with your friends, all these things, you know, what do you think about all those myths we're hearing out today? So some are true, some are kind of sort of maybe true, and some are simply false. (laughs) And so there's so much misinformation about taxes in the world. And what I recommend to people is please don't believe your brother or your aunt, your golfing buddy, someone who told you something at the dinner table, or worse, Google or Wikipedia. And then if you happen to hear one of those things, please check with a professional, because sometimes the law can be very gray. Sometimes the law can be very particular and what might sound like a great idea or a great deduction might actually not apply to your particular situation. Gotcha. Oh, that's good advice because I want them all. I want all those tax deductions, right? (laughs) I want to be able to take that trip. So could you give us some insight on when some of those things may apply? Like, for instance, the international trips, we all want to go with our friends and, and have a good time and live it up and all that stuff. Is How do you do that? So there are very specific rules. First of all, it has to have a business purpose, right? So a couple of years ago, the IRS came down really hard on people going to the Bahamas and saying, I'm on a business retreat. I'm reading books. I'm thinking about my business. I'm doing my planning. And they said, no, if it's got an element of vacation and you're lying on the beach in the Bahamas, that doesn't have a business purpose. So I think no matter where you go, And no matter what you do, you have to have this idea that you have a business purpose, right? And so again, that can be pretty great. When I go to Hawaii, if I go and visit with other accountants or prospective clients or existing clients, there's my business purpose. Even though I happen to be in Hawaii, I have clients there. I have other colleagues there I can visit. So no matter where you go, overarching everything, please be sure that you have a clear valid business purpose. Then that being said, the way the rules are written, interestingly enough, traveling overseas allows for a complete deduction of your air travel. And as you know, that can be expensive. And these days, sometimes flying coast to coast can cost just as much as going to Europe or South America or further afield. So I think most importantly, business purpose. Then you've got to weigh up the dollars because we never want to make decisions based on taxes. So I don't want you to go to Paris because you think it's a good tax deduction. I want you to go to Paris because it's a good dream come true or it's a good use of cash for you and your family. And then we try and do the best we can for taxes. So yes, 
international travel can definitely have some benefits, but I want you to make the choices that are best decision for you and your family and your green money and not make a decision because of taxes. Love that. That's great advice. Is there like a certain amount of time you need to spend towards that business purpose? Yeah, no, not at all. That's a great question. There is not a time you can go for a day or you can go for a week or three weeks. You know, and also one of the biggest pieces of actual tax law says expenses must be ordinary and necessary for your business. And that's exactly what it says in black and white. You can see how vague that is. But you can also see how if you spent three months traveling Europe, claiming that that was a necessary business expense might be a little tricky, depending on what industry you're in. But so I always say to people, be reasonable. You know, greedy people get into a lot of trouble. If you're not greedy and you're going for one week or two weeks or three weeks, I think we can claim that that's fair for a business purpose. But when you start to go for a longer period of time, that's when you really need to be clear that it is, in fact, ordinary and necessary for your business and has a business purpose. Awesome. Well, thank you for clearing that up because, uh, yeah, I, I was going to book a trip next week, but you just made me change my mind. So there's a lot of information. Like, how do you stay up on tax laws? Because don't they change like every year? You know, they do and they don't. So I'm originally from South Africa. I came to the United States with nothing but a bag of dirty clothes in 1997. And no matter where you are in the world, if you make money, you pay taxes. I think we can all agree on that. If you make money, you pay taxes. And then parts of the law, like ordinary and necessary business expenses, that hasn't changed and that likely never will. Now, some of the little nuances change year on year, depending who's in office and who makes changes to benefit themselves and their family or their constituents. But the bigger overarching, you make money, you pay taxes, ordinary and necessary, those don't change. And I think to your point of home office deduction, that's something that's changed a little over time as more and more people are in fact working from home. So what has not changed is that employees, people who have a nine to five or a job where you get a W-2 and you're an employee, you cannot deduct your home office. Even if your employer, like during COVID, tells you you must work from home, you still cannot deduct your home office. But as business owners, or 1099 people or contractors, you can deduct your home office. And the IRS has become much more fluid and understanding in this deduction. It is no longer an immediate audit. You know, 25 years ago when I came to this country, if you deducted a home office, you're pretty sure someone was going to send you a letter and say, prove it. Today, there are millions of home office filers. And so again, as long as your numbers are reasonable, ordinary and necessary for your business, I really do insist that everyone who is working from home take that very valuable deduction. Awesome. And then when you deduct that home office, do you do by square footage? How do you calculate that? So because there's so many people doing it these days, it used to be a very complicated formula, buy square footage and multiply out your rent and your utilities. I mean, really a headache, a lot of work, especially for us. But today the IRS actually gives a flat dollar amount. So if you don't want to take the time to complete this long form or get all that documentation together and run around your house with a tape measure, then you can do a flat fee. 
So based on where you are in the country, the, if you go to irs.gov, there are preset amounts for home office deductions. They're generally not the best deduction. You know, lazy people don't usually get the best deduction, right? So the better deduction is in fact to either do square footage or if you want it to be a little more risky, take a little more risk, then I would probably do a percentage of my home. And what I mean by that is rather than do the square footage of this room, I sometimes work at my dining room table. I definitely use the kitchen. I definitely use the bathroom. And so what I'll do is say, I'm about 25% of my home. Some of my clients will do 30, some will do 35. I tell them, don't go over 50. That's greedy. It's going to smell bad. The IRS is going to go, really? You use more than half of your home? Come on, you got to live somewhere. So my most conservative clients will get up, they take measure and measure their room. Um, some of my clients will just say 10%, just do 10% because it doesn't have to be a room with a door. You could literally have a laptop in your bedroom and that's your home office. It doesn't have to be a room with a door anymore. It just has to be your primary office. And that's actually the wording in the law, primary office. So that means it's not that you have an office to go to, but you're lazy and you work from home. You cannot have another office. It must be your primary office. So it's not a choice. You work from home every day. It's your primary. That's what makes it deductible. Not a room with a door, not a room that doesn't have a television. My, my office has a television and a couch. So those rules have relaxed a little bit. Again, you know, if everybody just focuses on be reasonable, make sure it's ordinary and necessary for your kind of business, then I think you run within the gamut of the law. Awesome. Wow. Okay. And then I see a lot of people also doing like co-working spaces. Now, which do you feel is best? Like is a co-working space better than a home office, vice versa? No, a home office is the very best deduction. Because if you think about it this way, I'm paying my rent or mortgage anyway. I'm not paying any more or less than the space that I need. And now that I do have some clients say, oh, Wendy, I'm going to move to a two-bedroom apartment and turn one into my office. But all that does is increase your living space. That's awesome. So I would take a home office deduction any day because, you know, the utilities, the cell phone, the internet, all that stuff that you're paying for for your home, you're now getting to deduct. If you have a co-working space, you can't deduct your home office. So you're paying for it anyway and getting no tax benefit. The only time I really like a co-working space is if it's not a room with the door. So for example, if I sign up for a co-working space, that's like five conference room hours a month and a mailbox drop and maybe some floating office space, then you can still deduct your home office, right? Because it's still your primary office. All I would be saying is, yeah, sometimes when I wanna meet clients face-to-face, -face, I use a conference room at this co-working space. That's okay. What you cannot do is have a lease or an agreement with a co-working space where you have a permanent office there with a door or a permanent desk space there and a home office. You need to have a primary place where you work that and definitely a home office deduction is the best. Awesome. Okay. So, and then, okay. So say you have both, say you have the co-working space, you just go in there for the meetings from time to time, but you still have that monthly bill. Do you just put that as an expense or how does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I do. I mean, I might not call it rent, right? Because then the IRS is going to look on your tax return and go, hmm, rent. 
but yet you have a home office. How strange. So if I truly have a lease with a co-working space that is for conference room space only, or it's really not a primary office space, then I would probably just call it office expense. Got it. Okay. All right. See, we get no other game from you, Wendy. I love it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. It's all about the gray. It's all about the gray. We never do anything illegal ever because I don't want to go to jail. The food's very bad there. I like good food. So I don't want to ever do anything illegal, but I certainly like to play in the gray area. And I always tell taxpayers, I always tell business owners, this is where you need to look in the mirror and know who you are. Because for everybody that I talk to, there are very conservative people that say to me, I would rather overpay a little than ever get a letter from the IRS. And then there are other people who say, do whatever you can do. I want to pay as little as possible. And it's important to know who you are, because if I'm a conservative person and I feel this pressure to take a risk because I hear a podcast or I hear my neighbors or someone bragging about how little tax they pay, you know, it's only going to come back to bite you. I think you really need to be clear in your gut of how much risk you are comfortable with and stick to your own comfort level. I agree. Yeah. I know personally, I mean, I don't want any other risk when it comes to taxes because I don't want those guys coming to my door or telling me I owe something that <laughs> from years ago. Right. So, yeah. And that's why I depend on the CPA. Right. And so it's not, you know, for the majority of us as small business owners, none of us is going to tax jail. I mean, we're not. You have to be Beyonce and own millions to go to tax jail. But just that someone's going to be asking for all your records and the letters and the notices and then the penalties, it's just so draining and so negative and it affects your entire life. So I don't want anyone to worry about being taken away in the middle of the night tax jail. That's not going to happen to you. It's really more that you just don't want the notices. You just don't want to deal with the headache. It's going to take you away from your business on a daily basis. Absolutely. So with that being said, how do you avoid, you know, getting those notices? Yeah, I think most importantly is to not do anything that makes you greedy. So if you've ever called the IRS, you know, there's nobody there. They don't have any employees. I mean, they're down to like five people. So what they do have, though, is very sophisticated computer systems that run through your tax returns looking for outliers. And what I mean by that is if you have revenue of 100000 for a round number and you have $50,000 in travel, that is likely going to trigger their computer to go, ooh, weird ratio, weird ratio, send a letter, right? So what you always want to do is make sure that all the expenses that you claim are reasonable as a percentage of the revenue you bring in and or reasonable for your industry. So, for example, I had a client who lived in Beverly Hills, very expensive part of Los Angeles, but she made $25,000 a year. She was a trust fund kid, but they didn't know that. And the IRS sent her a letter saying, everybody in your zip code has taxable income of $250,000, but you have 25. Please explain how you pay your bills. Fair question. So those are the kinds of things you really want to think about. You know, do my numbers compare to other people in my, are these normal numbers or am I really playing a game here? Because that is opening yourself up to a game of Russian roulette. Mm. Okay. So that's why it's just easier to hire someone like you, right? Well, it depends. You know, again, if you're completely risk averse, then the numbers are what the numbers are. And you're going to put them into a tax pro or tax cut or any of those wonderful softwares that spend billions of dollars perfecting their system. You can use those. If you are a risk averse person who just wants to file a clean tax return of the actual numbers as they stand, then use one of those systems. It's a Q&A. 
What did you spend on gas? What did you spend on internet? What did you spend on your cell phone? Super easy. If you want to learn how the stuff works, if you want to play in the gray area, if you want someone to banter ideas with, like, oh, is this trip, how can I make this trip deductible? That's when you hire a tax professional. Got it. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. Cause it's like, you know, I hear a lot of people say, Hey, talk to your CPA. And a lot of people that I speak with, a lot of entrepreneurs, they be like, I don't have a CPA. So how does that work for an entrepreneur or a business owner though? Shouldn't we just automatically assume that we have some things that we're not going to readily understand? I think again, if you're risk averse, just go with a software and put your numbers in. You'll be fine. You'll be taken care of. You'll be safe. You'll file an accurate tax return. If you're someone who does want to learn, I think you need to interview CPAs, ask your friends, ask people who they're using. You know, I've used LinkedIn as a wonderful resource. Ask people and then interview those CPAs because there are different kinds of CPAs. So there are tax preparers that literally all they do is take the numbers you email them or the package you mail in, they put the numbers in the computer and then they give you a return and they say, here you go, this is what you owe, sign here. That's like one little step up from using software and it's 10 times more expensive and you've learned nothing. And when you ask a question, they either are too busy to answer or they answer in a way that you don't really know what they're talking about. I mean, it's happened to me with financial advisors, you know, people who invest in the stock market. I'll say to them, I don't understand what is this. And they use words that I have no idea what they're talking about. And I keep asking, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I'm getting nowhere. That's not a good advisor for me. What you are looking for is someone who listens to you and your situation and then says, okay, we're going to do your tax return or not. And, but most of our time together is going to be looking at your business, questions, answers, and educating you. And I'm seeing more and more of us coming into the marketplace. I only teach taxes. I don't even file the returns anymore because the AI has gotten so good that why would I ask people to pay me thousands of dollars for something that AI is going to do anyway? So there are more and more of us today who really are focused on just teaching you how to do this stuff. And I think that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great point. And it kind of lends to the next question. You know, earlier I mentioned some of the things that we hear, but there's some actual myths out there that I really want you to talk about. Can you really explain some of that to us? Well, my favorite one is if you take a home office deduction, you're going to get audited. If your CPA says that to you, they are 25 years behind the times, because like I said, 25 years ago, that was true. But given how many people are home office filers today, it's simply not true. Taking a home office deduction is not going to get you audited. So please don't live in fear of that. The other myths that I hear is take a vacation to the Bahamas, go lie on the beach and make that a, a business deduction. Yeah, you know, slippery slope, right? Let's be careful with that. The other myths are in the areas of meals. It's really important to, again, understand business purpose. You can deduct anything that is ordinary and necessary for your business. So if you go to a restaurant and have dinner with another human being who may or may not be for a business purpose, I would say deduct that because in the case of audit, how is the IRS going to prove that you were in fact there with your mom or your sister? How do they know? They're not going to call me and go, Ms. Barlin, did you have dinner with Mr. Wooden on May 3rd? And what did you discuss? They have no people to make those phone calls. They'll ask for receipts. You absolutely have to have your receipts. Um, but your business purpose, a little bit gray. 
Which reminds me to remind everybody on the call today that you must, must, must have receipts. This is one of the other big myths. Credit card statements and bank statements are not receipts. Absolutely not. You must have a receipt. Now, it doesn't need to be a piece of paper, but it needs to be a PDF or a JPEG, an actual receipt showing what you bought. And think about it. If you go to Target today, you can buy anything, food, cleaning supplies, clothes, shoes. How do they know what you bought that it was for business? So you need that receipt so that it actually shows, you know, paper, pens, notebooks, whatever it is that you're claiming as your deduction for your business purpose. So please, please, please keep receipts. They don't need to be alphabetized. They don't need to be in a binder. They just need to be available to you. Awesome. Yeah. Now, one of the tools I use is called Expensify. So any receipt I have, I just take a picture of it and store it right in there. Not awesome. Done for you. Done for you. I mean, I'm, I'm a big uh, tools guy, big process guy, making things easier. So thanks for calling that out, Wendy. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that'll save you thousands. I mean, maybe 10 years ago now, I went to an audit with two young men, probably in their 20s. They were in real estate, went out drinking a lot, had big meals deductions on their tax returns. They got audited because of it. And the one young man had no receipts. They denied 50% of his deductions. The other young man had all his receipts and he was cleared $27,000 in meal deductions. Wow. Well, I mean, I didn't even know you can deduct that much right when it came to meals. Holy, that's like your whole grocery bill for the year. <laughs> you know, and there are a lot of people in the big cities, Chicago, New York, LA, where they do, they eat out every night. That's true, I guess. And if it's a business expense, you're making enough money in your business. Why not? Hey, okay. You, you're really teaching us some things now. So when it comes to business structure, let's talk about that for a bit. How do we know that we have the right structures? I'm sure everyone's here, you know, really doing great job in their business, making good money. But how do we know if we have the right formation? Yeah, this is a tricky one and it really depends, right? I hate that answer, but it's true. It depends because for every single person, the answer is different, which again is why you don't turn to the internet or your buddy for this answer. In broad strokes, what I usually say in the first year or two of business, don't get any kind of entity. You don't need any kind of entity. First, figure out if you have a business. First, figure out if your business is going to be profitable, if you're going to stay with it. Then once you've figured out how to make money and do your business, then you go, okay, now I'm in it for the long haul. Now what? That's when you start to look at what kind of entity should I be? And generally, for most service-based businesses, you want to be an S corporation, as in SAM. There is absolutely no value in setting up an LLC for income tax purposes. For legal purposes, it's different. But for tax purposes, an LLC will not save you one penny, not one nickel, not one dime. So this myth that set up an LLC and you'll pay no taxes, I don't even know where that comes from. There's no truth in it. It is a useless thing. In fact, the IRS considers LLCs as disregarded entities. It actually says, if you have an LLC, it's a disregarded entity. Don't even bother filing it with us. Just put your information in your personal return. But if you're in the service industry, an S corporation is usually the most effective and efficient tax structure. Mm, that is a jewel right there. I'm sure a lot of people that's listening right now are going to <laughs> going to change their structure right now because wow. I mean, I did, I did definitely didn't know that one. So that's a gem. So why do people talk about LOCs as if it's some great thing? Right. 
I think because for lawyers, and I love lawyers, but I think lawyers make a lot of money setting up LLCs. It costs them a couple of hundred dollars and they charge thousands and they're easy to set up. But from a dollar for dollar tax point of view, there is absolutely no benefit in an LLC. Now, if you're doing business with two or three other people and you're going into weird partnerships where you own a different percentage than me and I'm a silent partner and then LLCs have value, but again, not from a tax structure, but from a legal structure, LLCs can be helpful. But for the majority of our listeners who are probably like me, you know, one person running a service-based business, an S corporation is usually hands down the best solution. I have no idea why LLCs have become so prolific other than they're very cheap to set up and lawyers love to sell them. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, Wendy, because a lot of us here, let's, let's go change that, people. If you're a service-based business, make sure you get that S-Corp, right? And also, can you speak to S-Corp benefits as far as taxes, though? So it's complicated. It's very complicated. And if you do have an S-Corp or you're thinking about getting one, I highly recommend that you pay a tax advisor for an hour or two of their time to explain to you how it works. So you can usually save about half of the Social Security and Medicare tax. Income, net income. So if you bring in $100,000 and you spend 20, you have 80,000 left that you're going to pay tax on. And usually you'll pay federal income tax, state income tax, and then 16%, one six, social security and Medicare tax. As an S corporation, we can usually have that social security and Medicare tax. So instead of paying 16%, you pay 8%. And that spread that difference, the value to you depends on how much money you make, which is why I tell people until you're making $100,000, an S corporation is not going to save you much money because that 8% spread on 50000 is not huge compared to the cost of having a corporation, the headache of all the additional paperwork. But at the 100000 plus, now all of a sudden 8%, that's real money. Like that covers a coffee cups and shoes, right? So that's the biggest tax savings. The other reasons that people love S corporations is they have very low audit rates. So if you are someone who wanted to be a little aggressive, you probably want to do it behind an S corporation, whereas unincorporated businesses get audited a lot because they're easy and they can. Um, so that's the other benefit of an S corporation. But all the deductions are the deductions. And that's why I don't push people to incorporate too early because the law that says anything is deductible for your business that is ordinary and necessary, that's what it says. It doesn't say if you're an LLC or if you're an S corp or if you're a C corp, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of entity you are. You can be no entity and you get the exact same deductions as a multi-million dollar entity. So ordinary and necessary business expenses are just that, irrespective of your entity type. So it's only once, you know, your business has legs and you're really starting to pay taxes and we're playing on that spread with the social security tax that um, having an entity starts to play in. Gotcha. And then when it comes to like, say you are a sole proprietor, or you don't have a formalized entity. What about tracking those business expenses? Because it's probably co-mingled funds, right? Right. So by way of the law, once you are an S corporation or a C corporation, you have to maintain books and records. You have to keep a profit and loss and a balance sheet required by law. If you're an LLC or a sole proprietor, you don't have an entity. You can keep your records on Excel. You can keep them in a big bucket 
the IRS does not care how you keep your records if you're not incorporated. But from a from one business owner to another, you know, these softwares are so inexpensive and easy to use today. I love Wave. I love, I mean, I love QuickBooks, but it's very expensive and very complicated. So I like Wave. There are a lot, um, uh, well, there's so many different online softwares that allow you to download and categorize your income and expenses in very short amounts of time. That's really what I recommend to keep track of your income and expenses. Then your tax advisor can help you. And then you can help yourself. Because if somebody comes to me with an Excel worksheet, and I've actually had this happen, Three young ladies came to me with an Excel worksheet. Um, they had a partnership and they were buying and selling real estate. And they said, oh, we have about $50,000 in profit. Here's our Excel worksheet. And I said to them, I'm going to take your Excel worksheet and I'm going to put it into QuickBooks. If I get the same number that you get, your tax returns free. That's how long I've been doing this for. I'm going to take your Excel worksheet. If I put it into QuickBooks, I come up with the same taxable income number as you, free tax return. I've never had to do that ever in my life before. Sure enough, they had a formatting error in one of their cells. They didn't have a $50,000 profit. They had a $10,000 profit because their Excel had missed a couple of expense lines in adding up the formula. So can you use Excel or a notebook or a bucket to keep your receipts? Sure. Do I recommend it? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't either. That's a lot of manual stuff too. So I don't recommend that either. I mean, things change from up and down. Typos, we can all do typos. Right. Yeah. Any human error can take place in there. And when you're talking about money, it's not a good idea. Plus, these softwares are so smart, you know. So when you download an expense, say from Chevron, the gas station, and you categorize it as gas, the computer is so smart, it now knows that anytime you purchase from Chevron, it automatically codes it as gas. So you've just halved your data entry time. I think it's fantastic. I know there's a lot of resistance from small business owners, and I think that's because many people have tried QuickBooks before and been frustrated because it's a lot more complicated than you know the ads on TV make it seem. But there are many other softwares that are easier to use that I really recommend you try and try until you find one you like. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely, I'll be looking myself because QuickBooks has like a million different types of QuickBooks. And then <laughs> when I use QuickBooks, it is really, really tough, right? I'm going in there. It is. You know, when QuickBooks came out about 20 years ago, they really got big and all the accountants were freaking out. Oh my God, they're going to steal all our business. They're going to take all our business. But in fact, I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last 20 years cleaning up the QuickBooks mess that many small business owners have made uh, because we can't do tax returns. I can't do tax planning if your numbers aren't clean. You're leaving money on the table. Yeah, even reconciling in there is just like, God damn, I hate that. <laughs> no, I'm with you. And they make it look so easy, right? Yes, they do, but it's not at all. Right here, watch this video. So we're gonna shift, we're gonna get close to wrapping up here, but I know you wrote this book, it's called Never Budget Again. What's some of the strategies we can use to avoid budgeting? Because I know I hate it myself. So I'm a big proponent of the Profit First system. If there's anyone on the call who has not yet read the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz or listened to the audio of Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, then you all have homework. But it is, for me, the very best cash management system I have ever found. And what it does is it teaches you how to set money aside for taxes how to set money aside for conferences, 
how to set money aside for all the things in life that just seem to suck us down. And so I wrote the book, Never Budget Again, for people like me who don't like to budget. I find it very constricting. It brings out the revel in me and makes me go, no, 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 I will not be limited. And so I needed a way to manage my cash that allowed me to make smart choices rather than live within a $200 hardline budget. So that was the premise for that book. But my other favorite book that I wrote a few years ago is called That's Deductible. And that one is for small business owners. Because when I was running my CPA firm, I never had time to just chat on the phone with people about meals and cars and travel and all this fun stuff. So I took 20 years of questions that people had been asking me and put it into That's Deductible, which you can get on Amazon. It's a light little read. There's pictures in there so everybody can read it. And I absolutely guarantee you'll learn one thing. All right. I'll be going to Amazon and getting my copy after this interview. (laughs) That sounds like my type of book. So quick question before we drop into the by design segment. What about clothing like for a business? So can I use like I hear a lot of you can like get your initials and stuff like this and it'd be considered a uniform? Yeah. Oh, this is a hot topic. So actually, um, clothing is specifically denied. There are three things that the IRS says you may not deduct outside of ordinary and necessary. There are three things you may not deduct. One of them is clothing. One of them is gym memberships. And one of them is country club dues. And so don't ever go there. Because guess what? If you go there and the IRS auditor finds you, they will throw the book at you. They're done. No more negotiating. If you play in the gray area, then they'll negotiate with you because it's gray. But these three things are actually illegal. So just to say, I need nice clothes. I need nice makeup. I need nice shoes because I'm client facing. They don't care. Even people who wear tuxedos as limousine drivers, fancy dresses for award ceremonies, none of that is deductible. To your point, what is deductible is logo-driven clothing, which are uniforms. So if you have your business logo on your shirt, that is a uniform and that is deductible. But telling your team, wear black pants, that's not a uniform. That's just a choice. So it must have a logo on it in order to be a uniform, in which case it will be deductible. Awesome. And when you say has a logo on it, just for clarification, the logo has to be showing, right? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, again, unless you could make a case to the IRS that there was a really good reason it was inside and not outside, but I'm pretty sure they'd want to see it on the outside and they would want to see it active, right? So not like a tiny little logo around the back corner that no one can see. And again, I tell people like, First of all, don't go buy uniforms if you don't need them. What a horrible waste of cash just to get a tax deduction. And don't play in the areas that you know make them mad. Because like my client who had no receipts, he had no receipts and $24,000 in meals expenses. They did not deny all of it. They could have, but they didn't because the rest of his return was clean. So what they said was, we'll give you half. And that's usually how it goes. Where I've been to audits over mileage or any other expenses, they will usually negotiate with us. But if they find you doing something illegal, like deducting clothing or hair or makeup, then there is no negotiating. And so in my mind, even as aggressive as anybody would ever like to be, it makes no sense to play in the area that really is a ticking time bomb. I would rather play in the gray area more more meals, more travel, more gifts, 
can stay away from the gyms and the clothing and the things that are specifically not deductible. Absolutely. Thanks for giving that that three too, Wendy, because that makes it really, really clear. So one more, one more. I got one more. All right. I love it. I can talk about this stuff all day. Yeah, this is so super interesting. So what about cars? Can you like if I buy a vehicle, how do I make that a deductible expense for the business? Right. So we would be here for the next three days talking about cars. And I think people would at that point go, I'm so tired of listening to this woman doll. Cars are a very, very tricky situation. Again, what I'll tell you is it's specific to you and your lifestyle, but make a choice that's the best use of cash first. So if you get a great deal on buying a car for cash, by all means do it. Don't go and buy a car that's got an eight or 10% interest rate on it because someone promised you a tax deduction. I don't even care if you can get a tax deduction. That is not a choice. That is a smart money choice, right? The same for people who want to lease. Does leasing a car make sense for you? You're in essence renting a car for the rest of your life. You have limitation on mileage. Your insurance is more. Is it deductible? Yes, but is it a good cash choice? So usually people get really frustrated with me because they say, Wendy, I just want to know if it's deductible. And I'm like, deductible is the last question I'm going to talk about. The first question I'm going to ask you is about how much cash do you have? How much cash can you allocate to a car? Okay, now let's see what's the best tax strategy. We don't buy or lease a car because of taxes. That being said, usually leasing is a better tax deduction because the entire lease fee for the most part is deductible. Where So when you see people driving very expensive Mercedes and BMWs and Audis, whatever, it's because they're leasing them. They don't own them. Because if you buy a vehicle, a luxury vehicle, you can only deduct the first 20000 So if you buy a $60,000 Audi, you can only deduct the first 20000 And even that has to be the business percentage thereof. So is it a smart money choice? Maybe. Is it smart to buy a $60,000 Audi? I'm not sure. That depends on everybody's lives, right? So that's why it really depends. It's a very complicated topic. And I really recommend that, again, you don't go to your golf buddy or your book club friends or your neighbors for this advice, because this one is tricky and the numbers can be large, especially today where cars are significantly expensive. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just not touching that vehicle for my business then. All right. You saved me some money, Wendy. All right. You're most welcome. All right. So now we're going into the time of our show. It's called the by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. First question. Are you ready, Wendy? I'm ready. All right. What has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? Not doing what everybody else thinks I should do. So for me, I feel like with the social media that was in my face every day, I feel like business should be a certain way. And I feel this pressure to make my business a certain way. But when I'm really honest with myself, that's not what I want. And I want it to be my way. And so I'm constantly fighting this internal battle about what I see other people say is the right way to do business and then my way. And to say to myself, it's okay, stay in your lane, do you, and be the best you you can be. Don't worry what other people are doing. And, and for me, that's very challenging because it's this you know shiny object syndrome where should I be doing it that way? I don't know. I like my way. I love that, Wendy, because your way is clearly working. So I want to give a shout out to you for that one. And I want to remind the audience that your way 
may be the best way because even if you tried to copy, you know, what everyone else was doing, it may not work for you. So kudos to you. Right. And it's just hard though, right? Everybody else like, you got to do it this way. This is the way. Follow me. And I'm like, should I? I don't know. It's not me. Not easy. <laughs> no, you're doing it right. Well, you're doing it right. All right. Second question. What is the best lesson that you've learned from your entrepreneurial journey? I would say chasing revenue is completely irrelevant. So I spent two years trying to get my revenue to that million dollar mark. And I breakfast out, lunch out, dinner out, 60 hour weeks, driving revenue, driving revenue, driving revenue. And you know what happened at the end of the year? I reached my revenue goal. I paid my taxes and you know what was left in my bank account? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And the hardest lesson I learned, and, and people find this amazing that a CPA would struggle with this, but the hardest lesson that I learned is it doesn't matter how much revenue you have. It's about how much you keep. Because in earning that revenue, I spent so much money on marketing and building out my team and getting a more expensive car. And every time somebody asked for money, I said, yes, because it was coming in, it was coming in. And then there was nothing left. So the hardest lesson I've learned is to actually focus on your profit. Focus on how much money you're taking home and not how much you're selling. I love that. And that's a great reminder, right? Profit first. <laughs> Absolutely. Get that bottom line going, right? We want that to be green by the time the end of the year that comes. All right. Third one. What are three tools or tips that you would recommend when scaling your business? Virtual assistants. I am a huge fan. I read that book, that four hour work week by Tim Ferriss five or 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I, I want that. That's me. And I have had the absolute best experience hiring virtual assistants. They are the most committed, hardworking people. And so hire virtual assistants, be virtual. Everything can be done in the cloud. Look at us. Isn't this awesome? We can work from anywhere. I love that. And then I think the third thing, just like we're talking about, is making smart cash choices and really looking at the green money and deciding what the best choice for every dollar is. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wendy. Yes. And I agree on the virtual assistants. I love them. I am all about delegating tasks that don't need to be done by me. Right. So I wholeheartedly agree. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. This has been an amazing, informative conversation. I'm so grateful for you to coming on. Please tell the people how they can connect with you. Fabulous. So um, wendybarland.com is a wealth of free resources and downloads on all things taxes, home office calculators and car trackers, all sorts of free resources on my website at wendybarland.com. If you have any questions for me or you need a referral or you just want 10 minutes of my time, you can jump on my calendar. I also offer one-on-one -on -one all day training sessions where we actually dig into your business and you walk away with all the answers you need. And that's got a money back guarantee on it. That's my favorite thing to do. So wendybarland.com is a wealth of resources for you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Wendy. Pleasure having you on and look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you so much. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, 
We cannot thank you enough for listening. 